Hello again, it's Margaret. Today I'm bringing you the fifth of six episodes I'm airing as part of a collaboration with Art Dose Magazine and Frank Juarez and his annual group exhibition, Indiana Green, which features Wisconsin artists and is being held in Wausau at the Center for Visual Arts. The opening reception is July 23rd, and you can see the exhibit through September 11th. This year's show explores the tactility of material, tenacity, and the presence of the handmade. I'm so happy to have Emma Freeman back on the show. Emma is a queer mixed media artist, teaching artist, and highly sensitive person. She is silly and soulful, tactile and contemplative. Today you'll hear not only what's behind the art she created for the Indiana Green exhibit, but her current obsessions with nature, poetry, and Buddhist teachings, and how they connect to art making. Emma's always asking a lot of questions which come out of her creative practice, like, can a line of stitches be a poem? I love that she explores these questions. If you haven't already, please go listen to episode 27, where Emma shares her love of textiles and texture and talks in depth about slow stitching, visible mending, and the power of play and experimentation. Please follow Emma on Instagram and check out her website at emmafreemandesigns.com. It's filled with resources, links to workshops, and a link to her podcast called Reflections from My Art Table. As always, links and takeaways are in the show notes and on her episode page at authenticobsessions.com. And please, if you like this episode, if it resonates with you, and if you think of one other person that might appreciate it, please share the link with them. This project is about creating a community and sharing the stories and experiences of creative souls. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Emma Freeman. Hi, Emma. Welcome back to Authentic Obsessions. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. You are one of five artists selected for the Indiana Green exhibit curated by Frank Juarez and Artos Magazine. Tell us a little bit about the work you're creating for this exhibit. So the work that I'll have in the show is all fiber-based. So that's the work that I've been making over the last many months. Um, so I'm doing nature weaving. So uh, weavings on um, like a piece of a, horn, a wasp nest and um, a piece of tree bark and a bird's nest. So I'm weaving with different fibers on those and then also on stone tiles. So I'm going to have the weavings as part of the show. And then I've been making these fabric meditation books that are made out of different fabrics. And then I'm slow stitching on those. So I'm going to have some of those. And then this big piece um, that I'm calling a meditation cloth, that's maybe seven feet tall that I'm hand stitching. That's um, a a piece from Japan from the 1940s that's uh, mosquito netting um, called Kaya. And it was dyed with indigo, handwoven by people and used in people's homes to protect them from mosquitoes. And I was, I found it on Etsy many months ago. I was really drawn to the indigo color. And then when I, I just had it sitting in my room with me and one day I glanced over and I thought, I wonder if I could stitch on that. So off I went. So that's going to be the biggest piece in the show. Um, and then I might be sprinkling in some of the poetry that I've been writing, um, but that's a question mark at this point. Okay. So what interests you in creating these pieces? 
Um, it's really, uh, they feel like meditations and um, they're very um, quiet and um, soothing. And each one feels to me like a quiet conversation. So I, I don't start with a particular idea really in mind, or at least not a, a solid idea. It's very soft and I just let it evolve and take me where it takes me. So it's very, um, therapeutic and deep. And I find when I'm making this work, I'm processing thoughts and emotions. I end up writing a lot, like words come to me for poetry, for other writing while I'm stitching or weaving. Um, so I kind of bounce back and forth between writing and the work. Um, so it's really a healing experience more than anything. You talk about following Zen philosophy principles and wabi-sabi in your practice. And one of the things that struck me was this principle of deep listening. Do you mind if I read what you wrote on your Please. website? Yeah. You wrote, I practiced listening carefully at my art table to what the materials want to do, what ideas emerge through the creative process, and what my next step is without worrying about the final outcome and ongoing daily practice. Can you talk about this a little bit and how that's affected the work that you're doing? Sure. That practice of deep listening just kind of happened um, when I went through the big transition that I talked about the last time I was on the podcast, um, where I ended up sitting at this table in my bedroom because of the pandemic. And I started to notice a shift that was just naturally happening in the way that I was creating because I was spending so much time in this still place and not running around. And I, I started to notice that I, that it's, that it was feeling like a conversation. Like I was hearing or feeling things in the materials in way, in a deeper way than I ever had before. And it, just started to feel like it was unfolding. I had to consciously take action with the materials, but it felt like, and still feels like the ongoing practice part of it is if I can get out of that part, that critical part of my mind or that ego that really wants to know where we're going and what's going to happen. And is it good? And you know, all of that, if I can get out of that space, then, um, and enter that deeper place, then one, it just feels better in my body, but then also the work that emerges feels so much richer and more aligned in a deeper way. Um, it's a really beautiful practice and it feels like it's not only helping my art move, but it's also helping me move as a human in powerful ways. When I think about deep listening, two things happen inside me. I feel a sense of stillness and peace and like I can sense that there's room to breathe. But on the other side of it, there's a little bit of anxiety thinking like, could I stay still? Could I listen long enough to hear what needs to be said? And I think sometimes that stops me from trying because it makes me so nervous that like, I'm not going to do it right, or I'm not going to listen long enough. I don't know, maybe that's just different parts of the inner critic showing up 
I'm glad you brought that up because I, I feel similarly often that um, there's a lot of anxiety and, and different emotions coming up. And that's actually an active part of the practice. It's listening and like looking at listening to the anxiety or whatever's coming up, not trying to push it away or trying to make it be something else, this kind of serene, calm space all the time. It's um, more about really being like bringing that awareness to whatever is coming up. If it's fear or grief or anger, whatever it is, and sitting in stillness with that. And stillness really means actually moving. Stuff's always moving in our bodies, hands are moving. So that, that, I think that's actually the most healing part of it, that it has been a way to not avoid those difficult emotions um, for me and really kind of befriend them. Not that I want them around, but they show up anyway. So being able to kind of invite them like, oh, hello, why are you here? Let's like either just acknowledging that the anxiety is there, I often find helps release it, move it through rather than trying to like suppress it, which I did for a long time or ignore it. Um, so yeah, that's also a big part of the practice. Do you think stillness is really a lack of external stimulation and not so much sitting in a, with your legs crossed in a meditative pose and being very still, you know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. a, I think there's an anxiety for someone like me who is constantly physically moving. Mm. And so when you talk about deep listening and stillness, I have this vision of you just very calm, maybe moving your fingers, but nothing else. But it's really a stillness of the mind and maybe external stimulation not coming in so much, turning yeah. off the phone, not having, you know, background, a lot of background noise. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I think it's all of that. It's also the, for me, it's been not running around doing so many things um, in the way that I used to. And that was normal. That just, and it, I can remember very clearly two years ago, imagining sitting still and similarly, like what you were saying, like sitting still and quiet and not, and moving slowly, I'd be like, Oh no, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> like, no, I want to do things. I want to, I have to move. So I think it is also very much for me, it has been physically not moving around that much. And I find when I physically sit still, even if my mind is swirling, it will eventually quiet down too, but that's every day, you know, kind mm -hmm. of working there. So I yeah. think it's fascinating. It is fascinating. It's fun to watch your journey. There's something about the tactility of the material that you're using, right? You're touching it and feeling it and you're sharing it with an audience right now. You're sharing it on social media. It's going to go out in the world at some point here soon. I'm curious what it evokes in you when you're creating such tactile pieces and you're touching the materials directly instead of like using a brush or having something between your fingers and hands and the medium that you're working with. Is there a difference between touching the actual material and having a, a pencil or a paintbrush between you and your work? Yes. Big time. I find that I, there's a, a different, there's an intimacy, uh, 
when I'm, when there isn't a tool between me and the art making, um, it, it brings my whole body into the making in a deeper way because my fingers are touching whatever it's the thread or the cloth. And so I'm like engaged in it in, in subtle ways that I don't even, you know, can't really often put into words, but I can sense that it's, um, it's like drawing me to a deeper place with the materials and bringing it more into like an intuitive sensory body experience rather than like a more intellectual, logical place. Like, oh, I'm trying to draw this plant or uh, whatever, like more realistic imagery. Um, and I, I find, you know, I've always been a really tactile person. I mean, right now I have a stone in my hand. I'm just twirling it. <laughs> like I've always been drawn to different textures. And so to incorporate it into the art making, yeah, it just makes it richer, I think. Oh, so a lot of the materials you're using are soft. It's yarn and fabric and all these different textiles. But now you're pairing them with things like stone tiles, which are also organic materials, a wasp's nest. I think I saw you use a bird's nest at one point. But so the softness of the yarn and the fabric against like a hard stone tile, does, does, that, does that bring up different things? Yeah, that um, it happened very organically one day, you know, I had all these tiles that somebody gave me and they were sitting with me. I had them for over a year and I, I kept looking at them kind of wondering like, what can I do with those? And had tried at first just laying some like feathers and cheesecloth on top of them and then took them off and, and then um, one day while I was playing with thread, I think with stitching, I looked at the stone tiles and I thought, I wonder if I can weave on around that. And so it really started that way as a question. And then I ended up really in, and really love the, the mix of materials that it's, that it's stone that's from the earth and it has this gritty texture and it's hard. And then combining that with these fibers that are also from the earth, uh, but they're soft. So I like that. Um, they seem to dance well. They talk to each other well to my eye. I love how you talk about that, about how the materials talk to each other. You're taking these materials, you're taking an object, you're transforming it from its original intent and giving it new meaning. Do you, do you think about as you're creating as you're taking these materials and transforming them, are you thinking about the meaning that you're creating as you're doing this? Or does it come to you when you're all finished? It's kind of a weird yeah. question. Oh, I like that question. Yeah, I think it is. I start with like questions come to me, like wonder about the material. So with the, some of the threads, like the, or this, um, I've been working with this fiber from uh, Nepal or Tibet lately. That's this yak down yarn. That's super, just beautiful and soft. And so when I, I felt drawn to that, when I saw an image of it, and then I got it in my hands and I, as I was touching it and having that tactile experience, I found that my mind was started to ask questions and wonder about 
the women who collected it in Tibet and what the yak, what they moved like, what they looked like, what the air was like there and what it's like to um, live in an ancient culture. All of these thoughts and questions started to come to my mind as I was touching the fiber. And then as I start, you know, start to work with it, I feel like that's all kind of just swirling around in the piece. And so it's like this rich kind of these layers of meaning and questions and possibility that aren't really, uh, it's not that I'm trying to make a conceptual piece about something. It's more that just these questions appear and then they become part of the creative process. So then when the piece is finished, then it feels like all of that wondering is um, within the piece. And I'm really drawn to transformation and giving things new stories and the layers of, of meaning that come along with those transformations. And your process is being transformed as well as you're creating the work. Right. Yeah. Do you think your obsessions have changed or evolved for you in the past four to five months since we last talked? You, you talked about play and solitude and fiber as being that thing that's all about for you. And I'm wondering if that's transformed at all for you. Um, I'm definitely still drawn to fibers, but I think that, I mean, lately I've been really deep diving into the world of poetry and Buddhist teachings and exploring how they connect to my art making. Um, which has been just beautiful and fascinating. Um, and I'm also more and more just really pulled to connect to nature more deeply through art making through these conversations, like with a bird's nest or these fibers and explore, like take, I find myself like meditating or contemplating nature and my relationship to nature and all of our relationship to nature in deeper and deeper ways through the practice. And um, I feel like that just keeps going. So I think those are the places that I'm in right now or more like curious about. Uh huh. I know you've been writing some poetry. I think you wrote that you're creating poetry with your cloth and your stitches and nature along with the words. Can you articulate that a little more for us? Yeah, it was more just like a, a question like, oh, is this poetry? Could a line of stitches be a poem? Hmm. I love that. I think that's a beautiful idea. So it just, and there's something now that that question kind of came to me now looking at the work or just having that question around when I'm creating feels like freedom. It feels uh, I don't know, kind of magical that like four stitches could be a poem and how, how could that be a connection to poetry with words and how like poetry can make us feel something. It can resonate. It can stir something up. It can make us feel at peace, whatever poetry can do with words. I'm so curious if those similar feelings or responses can come from stitches or from weaving. So it's something I'm still playing with. And I'm curious when you hang this in the exhibit, 
if the reactions from the people who are looking at it, if there will be any prompts about this, or it would be really interesting for you to write, do you see the poetry in this wall hanging? Or I don't know, some sort of prompt like that and have a conversation with the people who are looking at your work about it and see if that resonates with anyone else too. Oh, I, I think like it that would. Idea. That's a great idea. Thank you for saying that. I'm going to try that. I want to be a fly on the wall and watch people's reaction when they look at it and then be like, so do you see, do you see the poetry? I have a vision of, I don't know all the terms, but you know, a haiku or because the stitches feel like it just feels like another language. Mm. Like it, it may not be, you know, the English language with letters, but the structure is the same. So if you, if you're looking at, a poem in another language, you don't know what the words are, but sometimes there's just beauty in the, the words on the paper, right? Yes. I love it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it reminds me of the, um, I've been exploring asemic writing a little bit. Have you seen, do you know about that? Oh, it's fascinating. It's just really speaks to what you just said. So this is an an example of it. So it is, um, it's writing uh, a process of writing uh, but you can't, it's not legible words. So it's very fluid. It looks like calligraphy and it's been done all over the world for many, many years. And it's this, uh, it feels similar to journaling to me or writing poetry, but it's not about a specific thing. So it almost combines like, um, painting or abstract art making with writing. Cause you still use the structure of words. So there's, there's, um, shapes that look like letters and they're in what look like words, you know, they're long and short and then they're in lines. So you kind of build it. I'm really drawn to the mystery of it. And then also how, like you said, like you can, like seeing another poem in another language, how it could still speak to you, even if you don't understand all of the meaning of it. Tell us the name of that again. Asemic writing. So it's A-S-E-M-I-C. That is interesting. Okay, I'm going to have to go dig deeper into that. Reading and music are also very important to you and seem to be a big part of your creative practice. Tell us more about what you're reading or what types of music like invigorate you. Mm, um, Well, right now I'm reading. I have so many books around all the time. Um, I am I just read this uh, incredible book called The First Free Women, Poems of the Early Buddhist Nuns. And it is, I found the book randomly at a bookstore in town. It is phenomenal. So there are all these poems written by women like 2,300 years ago in India. And um, they are, they all these women came from all walks of life and had all kinds of life struggles. And then they chose to, Um, follow Buddhism so the poems are raw and deep and rich oh my god I've like earmarked almost every page Um, so that's one and I'm also reading uh, this book um, at home in the world stories and essential teachings from a monk's life by Thich Nhat Hanh Um, I'm definitely I'm in the Buddhist world and loving it and finding so many connections. Um, And then I'm also reading this book called Recovery Dharma, How to Use Buddhist Practices and Principles to Heal the Suffering of Addiction. 
um, because I found I stopped drinking six months ago and I found there's a group called Recovery Dharma that is this really beautiful um, group that explores Buddhist teachings with addiction, how to heal from addiction of any kind. So it could be a substance. It could also be social media or thoughts or really anything. And um, they just explore, like guide you through how to understand yourselves in deeper ways. Um, so that's been really beautiful. So those that's my reading world. And then music, right now I'm just listen to instrumental soulful music um without words and I used to I tend to bounce back and forth but I've been on this for a long time I used to bounce between like 60s soul music and folk music and all kinds of stuff but lately I think it's because of the space I'm in in myself having something that doesn't have words but can make me still feel something kind of get out of my head and with the stitches it, it, it kind of helps get into that flow thank you for sharing all of that mm -hmm. I want to come back to the exhibit a little bit how are you thinking about the life of your pieces sort of once it leaves the intimate nature of the studio to this bigger space where other people are interacting with it I'm so curious I don't know how it's kind of I mean this is the first time that I'm showing any of this work in public so outside of the internet so i am i'm curious to see how it feels for me to bring this work out of my bedroom into a bigger space and you know decide where the pieces are going to go and all of that and then i'm very curious to see how different people respond to it and my hope is that it stirs up some questions or curiosity or wonder. I hope that it's, it is a visceral experience for people, some people more than an intellectual, more than like, let's stand in an art gallery and assess a piece of art. What I'm hoping for is someone will walk up and be like, ooh, what's that? Or, oh, interesting. You know, have that kind of response. We'll see. I love that you're your answer to this is so positive and, and optimistic and curious, right? Are there any parts of your inner critic that are showing up when you know it's going to be on display for the whole world to see? Yeah, there's definitely some nerves or like some um, uh, feeling unsure of how it feels vulnerable because this work is deeper than anything I've ever made. And so it feels kind of scary to put that out into an open space and just kind of set it free and be like, well, here I am, or here are these parts of me and I can't control how those are received. <laughs> and that is vulnerable and definitely brings up some feelings of anxiety and worry. But as they come up, you know, I'm trying to acknowledge them and then just not let that push me in a certain direction with what I put into the space or like limit myself, like not put something in because I'm afraid of how it's going to be perceived, trying to just acknowledge that, okay, yeah, there's fear there and there's worry. Okay. But I really do want to share from my heart and from share this work that came from a very pure place and trust that that um, where it's coming from for me and 
it'll be received however it will be received. Not an easy thing, a messy thing. (laughs) Yeah. Has knowing that you're going to be sharing the exhibit space with with four other people who identify as female, has that influenced the way you've approached this exhibit? No, honestly, no. But I am, um, I like the idea of sharing space with four other women. And I'm so curious to see how the space comes alive with all of our work and how our work talks to each other's work when it's all in that space together. Um, So I feel like there's going to be like five separate worlds within this one world. Um, And I, I just want to see what that feels like. I want to walk into that space and feel it for myself once it's all up. I'm very curious to see the threads that tie all of you together, because I'm sure there are some, even if they are not, you know, in your face and easy to define, but I'm sure there are some and to have the energy of the five of you in in that space will be interesting to yeah. just sort of feel the energy in there. So totally. Yeah. So Frank talks about the presence of the handmade. When you hear that word handmade, what does that bring up for you in terms of creating the work? What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. For me, I just think if we're using our hands to create something, even if, you know, we're holding a tool to create something that it's, it's made by hand and um, that's so beautiful and important and inspiring, especially because so much of our culture is digital and so much of what's created for us to consume is not connected to the person that made it. I think more and more there's a um, movement to know who's making things, which is so beautiful. But I, when I, when I hear that word handmade or made by hand, it, and being in a space with other people who connect to that, I feel like, oh, we're in the same club. Like we, we speak a similar language, even if they're different materials, like we're, we're using our hands to to create something, to bring something into being that wasn't there before. And that's magic, I think. I was just sort of curious because I do think of there's the art versus craft thing, you know, fine craft, I guess. And there's a real delineation between art and craft. In fact, the name of this podcast early on was going to be called Between Art and Craft because I really wanted to explore the boundaries between and sort of bring to light that these crafts like furniture or, Mm. or weaving or blacksmithing, or, I mean, that all feels very handmade. I don't know. I don't know how to explore that. It'd be interesting to have a whole conversation about that with someone. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's so rich. I feel like those distinctions Oh, they just bother me because there's so much that that is rooted in, you know, a lot of the crafts have been women's work over the Mm -hmm. years and Mm -hmm. that distinction. And and also, why does there have to be a distinction? Why does there have to be like high art? If it's all coming from the same source within us, this creative, this desire to create and what that moves through us and what emerges, I, I feel like let's put it all together 
and explore the experience of creating and not feel like we have like, that's good, that's bad. You're in that club, you're over there. I don't know. It just bugs me. <laughs> okay, we need to explore this further sometime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, podcast number three with you. So even though viewers can't actually touch your work during the exhibit, do you think the type of handmade work that you do evokes a different experience in someone than when they're looking at a painting? Like, does it bring something different out in you when you view a piece of work that's more tactile, like a quilt or ceramics? Mm, yeah, it, um, you know, I've actually really been playing with, I really want people to be able to touch the work. That would be my ideal, because then people could have the full experience. I want people to flip through the books and touch the fibers. But when I was exploring that more, I thought, well, yeah, but like greasy fingers and, you know, all the things that are challenging with doing that in a public space. Um, but I, I definitely have a different experience. Like when I, uh, when I see something that speaks to my, to that like tactile-ness, um, it does kind of evoke something in me, just like when someone sees a painting that they really love that feels that it, it like brings something up for me. Um, but I think there is a different language in the touch. And that's why I wish I could invite people into that, um, to just run your fingers across the stitches and just notice not to like try to figure something out, but really just to have a that experience with the pieces. Couldn't you just have like a, a small section of it? You know how they do in children's museums? It's like you could have a giant wall hanging, but then you could do a very small piece that mimics the giant one for people to actually touch. Ooh. Oh, I like that. <gasps> Thank you for saying that. Oh, and that could be so interesting. Then I just thought like, oh, what if part of that piece is embracing that all these other people's touch is becoming part of the piece. So if it starts to unravel a little beautiful, like I'm not, it doesn't have to stay pristine. It can continue to evolve. Ooh, okay. I like this. Well, because this is how, I mean, you think about rugs or textiles that are used by people over the years, quilts, quilts who have been handed down generation after generation. And now they just have so much more history and depth to them when you look at an old quilt that's been around for generations, because you know, the fraying edges are really signs of love or warmth or comfort. Yes. So the same thing would happen to your piece as well, maybe. Ooh, okay. I love this. Thank you. Ooh, okay. I'm inspired. I have to play with that. <laughs> and figure this out is what fun. that is, no? Yeah. And I and I don't have to actually do the stitching. So this is a, <laughs> this is a good collaboration. Yes. <laughs> it seems like it seems like it's easy for you to keep coming back back to your art table and showing up each and every day. Is there something that you have to do to make yourself persevere? Honestly, no. I mean, with I feel like my art table is my oxygen. It's like the sanctuary. It's the place where I go to like, let my breath out. So I crave it when I'm not here. And even if I'm not actively working on a piece, just coming and sitting here just feels like 
oh, like I can just be fully, completely who I am in whatever moment. And I don't have to worry about anything else. And I think the like uh, perseverance or um, motivation definitely comes in in different ways in my practice, you know, continuing to evolve and notice what's happening and move things forward. But with sitting down at this table, I wish I, I mean, I just, I love it. It's like my best friend. (laughs) That is very inspiring. I hate to even ask this to take you out of this present day work that you're doing, but is there anything going around in your head that's provoking the next series or piece? Mm -hmm. Well, because I've been writing poetry now since, let's see, for like eight months and I've got... I've got like a hundred pages of poetry. (laughs) So there's a lot. I am feeling like I want to do something with some of that. And I don't know what that means yet, but I think that that might be coming next in some form. And then um, something that I did that is kind of in process right now. I, so I took one of my fabric meditation books And one day I was sitting here and I had this idea to bury it in the ground and see what happened to see how the earth would respond to it over time. So I buried it a couple weeks ago and I'm going to unearth it. It'll sit for a month or there's two of them. They'll sit for a month and then I'll dig them up and see what happened. And I, if they, you know, if we'll see what happens, but I might incorporate those into the show. But I had, after I discovered this, or just had this idea, then I happened to read the beginning of this book, this ancient text from Tibet. And there's a practice called Terma where um, sacred texts were buried in the ground for then other people to find. And I read that. I was like, what? Synchronicity. So I'm really curious to continue to go deeper with nature. And that's through, you know, probably fibers and words. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, I can't wait to see. Do you have a sketchbook practice? On and off. I feel like the fabric meditation books are sketchbooks too. um, Cause they're like, they feel like little doodles or little thoughts, little questions. Um, I was working in these old books, um, old book, this, I think we talked about this last time, the books that I would find at thrift stores and do mixed media practices. I work in those every once in a while, but not that much. So it's more the, yeah, the fabric meditation books that feel the most like sketchbooks right now. How do you, how do you keep track of all your ideas? I use Trello, this free website with boards. Um, That's where I write down ideas that come to me for new pieces, title ideas, ideas for new classes. I keep it all there. And that's been really helpful. Um, and I have it on my phone. So often an idea will pop in my mind at a random point. So I can just jot it on there real quick. It's so funny when you said Trello, I had this little moment of shock, like Trello, but that's a, that's a digital based. Mm. I feel like you would do something like stitch your ideas and, (laughs) you know, put them in a box that you have made and pull them out. I don't know. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, definitely not. I've tried the handwritten, even calendars, you know, I tried those for years and my, I need the reminder. I need the digital, like, remember to do this thing. Otherwise it all just floats away and I totally forget. 
So. Yeah, that that's a that's a purely selfish question because I'm always looking for something aside from giant pieces of paper on the wall where I can see it all of the time. Uh-huh. That's kind of my mode. Have you tried Trello? No. I didn't might- realize it was free. Yeah, they have a free version. version too, but the free yeah. one works great. It's nice. I like it because, you know, also being visual, obviously, you can drag and drop the board. So it, it is kind of like the same idea where you've got the things on your wall. It's just a digital version. Right. You might like it. Okay. I'll give it a shot. Can you talk a little bit about the role of women as supporters of your art practice? Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is that I'm I've, I'm part of this artist group of all women that I've been in for many months, and there are women all over the country and um, some, all over the world, and it's become this circle that is so um, a circle of friendship and uh, what feels like sisterhood. Like it's very um, inspiring, and we get together and we share what we're working on, what we're thinking about, really just show up with whatever we have in the moment. And, and then also there are different events. I've taught some classes through the group. So that circle of women feels like it's constantly inspiring me and helping me in my art practice and especially being courageous with sharing like the poetry that's, that feels very vulnerable and in a way, in a different way than anything visual that I've made. Um, I've been able to kind of crack that open a little bit in that circle and just gain a little bit of confidence. Like, okay, I feel like maybe I can like come out of my turtle shell with this. And I don't know that I would be there without that support. So that's been huge. So sharing your story and your voice with these other women seems very empowering. Mm-hmm. It is. And then through teaching, I mostly teach women. It's mostly women who come to my classes. And I feel so inspired by the stories that I hear from them about their own creative journey and their own blocks about being creative or um, also having a longing to create, but not knowing what they want to create. So much of that I identify with too. And then watching women and people just like um, explore something new and kind of push their creative edges and their boundaries and see that they're capable of things they didn't know they were and, and how empowering, what a ripple effect that can have on our lives. I mean, within the space of art making, but then the rest of life. I, I mean, I've experienced that through art making and I really love that. And I feel very connected to women and I want to continue to, I, I just want to like be around women and community with them and talk about things and share. So big part of my life, I think. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing, giving space to other women so that they feel seen and heard because that is, I think we carry so much in ourselves, by ourselves for so many years sometimes that to speak it is so scary. And once you speak it and someone says, yes, I hear you, it's okay, you can do that thing. That is just this big sense of relief and it's easier to keep going. It's just that initial nudge that some people need. 
Oh, yeah. And to have someone so welcoming like you saying, come to my class. I will hear you. I will see you. I know you're not saying that in those words, but that's what, but that's what you're doing. So it's wonderful. Thank you. This exhibit that Frank is doing, it's in its, I think he's been doing it since 2010 and he's highlighting artists from Wisconsin. So do you think there's something that's tying people together from the state? Um, I'm really curious about that because I'm, you know, I'm from Wisconsin, grew up here, but then I moved away for many, many years and just came back a year and a half ago. So, you know, it's like I returned home. Um, so it's familiar, but it's also very unfamiliar to me because I've been gone for so long. So I really don't have, um, I'm learning about the art community and all the communities in Wisconsin, everything that's going on here. Um, so that that feels exciting to me to be, to share space with other people who are rooted here in different places around the state. And I feel like maybe it's just a glimpse into some of the diversity that Wisconsin has in the art, in the creative community and the community at large, just these five people doing their own thing and how we're all here kind of sharing the space of the state in our own spaces. Yeah. I'm excited about that. All right. Are you ready for your rapid fire questions? Yes. Okay. Number one, can you name a female artist that you admire and tell us a little bit about them? So the person that comes to mind is this woman, Daphne Cohn, who runs the group that I'm part of and runs the, um, uh, she has a podcast too, and beyond podcast. Um, she is a very deep, soulful questioner. And in a way, like I remember hearing her podcast the first time and feeling this like pull, like there was something familiar that I was drawn to, like her, the way that she asks deep questions felt like, oh, I think I feel deeply in a similar way. Like we might be kindred spirits. Um, and um, so being part of her group for the last eight months or so, I've gotten to know her more and she's an incredible writer. And also just the way that she holds space for people and for herself. And she's very raw and vulnerable and like constantly evolving. I find, I think of her as a mentor, even though she's not just by her living her life and creating the way that she does. So I find her very inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. What is the most magical thing in your life right now? Uh, probably my almost two-year-old niece. She's my first niece. Oh my God. She's just, she, I get to see her multiple times a week because um, she lives in, my sister lives in Madison and they come over here multiple times a week and just being around her little light. And she's so curious, you know, she's new to the world. So everything's new and she's a little weirdo and she's just funny. And I just love it. Every time I'm around her, I'm like, oh my, you're like literally light. Um, and your magic. And we, like, I got to teach her about stomping in puddles and uh, it's just wonderful. It's nice to see a human evolve, isn't it? And grow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number three, what's your comfort food? Uh, 
completely, this might have been my answer last time. Um, samosas, I think are right now. I love them. I would eat them every day if I could. What three words best describe your creative practice? Deep. Slow. Contemplative. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Uh, Thank you. I'm so excited to see what you have in store for us for the exhibit. And I appreciate being able to go into a little more depth with you after our first conversation. This has been really fun for me and enlightening and has got me thinking about what I'm going to do next. So thank you for that. Oh, good. I love talking to you. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. Here are the takeaways. Number one, Emma says, my art table is my oxygen, my sanctuary, and the place I go to let my breath out. Number two, if I can get out of the critical part of my mind and enter the deeper place, it feels better in my body and the work feels so much richer. Number three, befriend those difficult emotions, acknowledge the anxiety. And number four, when there isn't a tool between me and the art making, there's a deeper intimacy and the making becomes this intuitive sensory experience. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week. Acknowledge the mess and keep going. Thank you.